Am I on? All right. You know, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm just humbled uh, to be asked uh, that the Lord would use me to pre- preach and, and teach at a men's conference like this. That's only the work of God. You know, and I, I don't take it lightly that, uh, that he calls me uh, because we all want to come and get lifted up and get filled up so we can head down to the mountain and be the men of God that God has called us to be. Amen? Amen. To be equipped to be those husbands and, and the workers and, and to be a witness for Jesus. Because Jesus has given us a calling on each and every one of our lives. We may not feel that calling, but he has called each and every one of us to be his witnesses in these last days. He, uh, he took his disciples and he gave them instructions, very valuable instructions for you and me. Go out into the world and preach the gospel. Go out into the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's an incredible calling. See, that's not just for Jackie or for Mike or for Brian or Dave. It's for each and every one of us that are called by his name. He has called each and every one of us to be his hands and feet in these last days. And believe me, gang, I believe the last days are upon us. Thank you, Don. Man, my, my voice is already... Uh, I, haven't, I haven't even begun shouting at you guys. <laughs> so, man, I got I to gotta get a drink of water and uh, water my, my throat down. You know, Jesus laid before his disciples these simple instructions... Go out into all the world that that we would preach the gospel. And most important, God has called us to love one another. There's no room for the church to have strife. Because the world is listening to us. The world is watching us. I had the opportunity to go to Boise a few weeks ago with a few friends. And everywhere we went to eat, and boy, we ate a lot. (laughs) Boy, you get with the guys, we like to eat. But where we went to eat, we we sat down and we talked about Jesus. And we'd enter a, a place, and they would have people sitting right next to us with their iPhones, and their face would be glued to them. Or they'd have an iPad, and they were, you know, really into the their their gadgets, like. It's, it's the times in which we live. But I noticed when we started talking about Jesus, 
even in their head, you know. They still got the phone in front of their face, but they're, they're listening. Because the world is looking for hope. The world is looking for something different, something real. And if they don't find it with us, you know, we look at the, the, the things that are going on in our world and, and it's no wonder kids are killing each other because we've taken hope out of every area of their lives. Now, Paul said that Timothy, he said, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. That's what we're called to do. When Philip went to Samaria and preached Jesus to them, that was a hard calling for Philip because he was seeing revival in Jerusalem. So when the Lord called him to go to the Samaritans, Lord, really? The Samaritans? <laughs> but he went. He was obedient. And what did he do? You know, we all sit and we think, oh man, I'm so comfortable here. I'm, I'm being used by God and it's comfortable. And that's the way I felt in, in Buell for a long time. I thought, Lord, if this is all you called me to do, I'm happy. And it's when I got to that place where I said, Lord, I'm satisfied with whatever you call me to do. That the Lord says, okay, I'm calling you out. The Lord wants us to be where he is leading. And see, when, when Philip went to Samaria, he saw revival. He saw people coming to Christ. He preached the gospel the cross, and they came to faith. And as fast as they came to faith, he's plunking them in the water. So the Lord said to Philip, hey, Philip, I got a guy out here in the desert. I'm going to use you out in the desert. Really, Lord? But I'm busy here. Ethiopian Munich? But Philip went. Because you never know that one person that you're going to touch their heart, what they're going to do. And Philip was obedient to that call. And he went to the desert. Simple. He preached the gospel. He opened up Isaiah 53. And Ethiopian Munich, he came to faith. He believed in Jesus Christ, and sure enough, they went in the water, and the Lord called Philip back up. Now, Paul, now Peter, he was called to Cornelius, and that was a hard calling for Peter, because this was a Gentile. Are you sure, Lord? You, can I meet him in the street? Really, you calling me to go into his house? Peter went. He understood that God was going to save the Gentiles. And before he could finish his message, boy, there's nothing more frustrating for a pastor when he doesn't get to finish his message. But he was interrupted and they came to faith. See, they heard the gospel, they believed, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And God moved in a mighty way. And they came to faith. In Antioch, there was great revival as God touched people. Gentiles, Greeks, and Romans from all over the country came and they believed and were baptized. Sometimes what we do is we make it hard for people just to come to Jesus. We, we put things, yokes on people that the Lord doesn't put on them for them just to come. Let me tell you, church, the harvest is ready. People are looking for hope. They're looking for something other than what the world has to offer. And we have to be there to share with them the gospel. I believe God is making hearts ready for all we have to do is be willing to share God's word and the love of Jesus to those that he brings in. Now, let me tell you what that looks like. It means not going to your little corners with your little buddies. God is calling us to get dirty, to mingle with the newcomers that are coming through the door. He's calling us out of our pews to go out into our community, to our hospitals, our highways and byways, to the, to the jail, to the nursing homes, to the hospitals, to touch the lost. In our study tonight, we see Timothy join the ministry of, of Paul and Silas. We get to see the enemy trying to infiltrate the church. And let me tell you, the enemy is trying, and he's already in the church today. What makes... I love the title of our, of our retreat, our advance this year. Unstoppable. What makes a man unstoppable in Christ? Because if you would have talked to Paul, he would have laughed at us. Because Paul must have spent a lot of times on his knees crying before the Lord. Take me home. Take me home. Let the rocks kill me. Lord, I can't. They, they're not receiving my message. What did the Lord say to Paul? He said, be of good cheer. You have been faithful in Jerusalem. But you're going to bear fruit in the Gentiles. You know... Uh, I tell you one thing that I, that I look at and I, I look at Paul and, and I see a man that saw clearly his heavenly home. Heaven was clear to him. I believe, I love the rock and roll road show this morning. Because what did Paul do? When they gathered over him and they prayed over him, I believe God raised him back up. He revived him. So what does Paul go? He brushes the dirt off his pants and he runs back into the city. He goes, maybe they'll rock, they'll hit me again. See, this is the thing, gang. The devil don't want you there. God's going to save lives there. And see, the devil didn't want him in that city. 
And nothing was going to stop Paul. Because every time he's seen opposition, he saw God moving in that city. And I tell you what, gang, the devil don't like us preaching the gospel. Paul had to learn and understand that it wasn't going to be in his strength, in his might, but it was in his infirmities that he was strong, in his weakness. Paul said, if, if I must boast, I will boast in my infirmities. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in my reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then Christ is strong. He saw his strength in Jesus Christ alone. Has anybody got to that place where you say, man, I, 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 I rejoice in my persecutions. But Paul understood that God had a purpose in every one of his trials. So that when Paul was dragged out of the city after being stoned, he couldn't help but go back into the city. The devil don't want me here, I'm going back. If you've turned to your Bibles, turn to your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. Chapter 16, and I'm going to start at verse 14. Let's pray over our study tonight. Lord, I just thank you for your word is faithful and true. Lord, your, heart, your word is able to pierce our hearts. Lord, and I pray your word would pierce our heart tonight. Lord, that you would do a mighty work in us. Lord, and just uh, do a work in me. Lord, make us new in you. Make us victors in your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Now he says in verse 14, he says, Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira and worshipped God. And the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she had her household and were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. That kind of made me laugh when I read that. Because how did she persuade Paul to go to her house? Did she twist his arm? You know, we respond to a home-cooked meal, don't we? Oh, Paul, I got, I got stew cooking at home. Ah, oh, you persuaded me. <laughs> you know, they were a rock and roll road show. So when they were, had that opportunity to go and, and get some home cooking, I'm sure they went. Now it says... Now it happened as we went to pray that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us and brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. You know, when we pray 
when we are faithful in our prayer life, God brings to light darkness. God brings to light the devil. Here, this demon-possessed girl was exploited by greedy men in dark world of fortune-telling. And it says, the girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, these men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. Now why did Paul wait several days to free this girl of this spirit? Can I tell you what I think? I think he didn't know. Because what she was proclaiming was the truth. And I tell you what, I've talked to people who have come into the church and I've felt the spirit not right. And they speak Christian lingo. But I've had the... I don't have much hair, but I had the hair on my... I have the hair on my neck stand up and it's like, you know something's not right, but you're waiting for more information. You're not going to walk up to somebody and say, hey, you got a devil? It's not very kind to a newcomer. But let me tell you, the devil is coming into the church. He's not out on the curb, out in the street, waiting for you to come out. He's come in. And we have to be discern, discerning the spirits. We have to be spiritually wise. Now when it says, But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them out of the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, these men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs that are not lawful to us being Romans to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrate against them. And the magistrate tore their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into the prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. See, being beaten thoroughly with rods, Paul and Silas were put into the prison. I have had bad days in ministry. But I've never had one that that bad. Where do you think your heart would be after you've been beaten and thrown in jail? I've had opportunities to go in and do jail ministry, but I, thankfully I've had the privilege of going through the front door. And when the evening was over, they let me out. Now I want you to know that he was thoroughly beaten and put into the prison. I believe it is important for us to recognize that God opens opportunities for us to minister, especially through 
diversity and, and through our trials and the testings of our faith. If God puts you in a situation where you are among those that are questioning their life, questioning hope, know that God put you there. God puts us in places to shine His light, to make an impact for Jesus. Paul, at this point in his ministry, recognized that he was being put in a situation where he could be a witness for Jesus. He knew that he was going in there for a purpose. And you see this in Paul's life, but he had to learn that. And it says, having received much charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. I love that footnote. And the prisoners were listening. Know this, gang. The world is listening. They're watching. You may not think that they're looking and watching you, but the the world is looking how we live, how we treat one another, how we go through trials and testings of our faith. When all else fails, sing. <laughs> I tell you what, I'm amazed at them. Because they didn't start with praying and singing. See, when you were chained to Paul, you were his prisoner for the evening. You heard all about Jesus. You heard all about the gospel. When you were put in chains with Jesus, you heard. And can you imagine... The prisoners at first, ah, oh, make them shut up. Oh, how about the jailer? They're saying, ah, oh, the guy just won't stop. He's unstoppable. So at midnight, when, when he's, he was getting hoarse, what Paul did is he began to pray. What did he pray? He said, Lord, let them receive the word which you spoke. Let them receive, let them, their ears be open to the gospel that I shared with them. Lord, give them eyes to see you in this place. And then he began to lift up praises. Now I want you to picture it. His back is torn open. He'd been beaten, his shirt torn. He wasn't just a visitor. He was probably beaten worse than anyone in there. And see, they were observing, they were watching. And it says at midnight, he began to sing and pray because Paul wasn't going to stop until God shook that place. I believe sometimes we stop too early because God wants to shake the devil's cage. He wants to shake the foundation.
Look at verse 26. It says, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains loosened. Amen. Isn't that a credible gang? What do you think the songs they were singing? This is just my mind. If you're lost and wandering, come stumbling in like a prodigal child. You know, he began to praise the Lord and all the chains and the foundation was shaken. I'm sure he was a David Crowder kind of guy. <laughs> and you could talk about his hook nose all you want, man. He's a, he's a rocker. See, I don't care how bad a day I've, I'm having. Once I start lifting my voice in praise, my heart and my hands follow. When I'm in a position of prayer and praise, I'm in a position, I'm in a posture where the Lord can speak to me. Can I tell you what I have observed in the church? People living between oppression and depression, living in spiritual defeat, not living in the joy of the Lord, not living in that victory that Jesus has given us, living on life support. But that's not what Jesus has called us to do. He's called us to abundant life. He has called us to joy. And He has given us all the tools to live that life. He has given us His Word. He has given us His promises. He has given us His Son. And when we begin to pray and praise the Lord, the devil has to flee. Singing is a tremendous way to alter my attitude and bring glory to God. Don't neglect your praise and prayer life. God directs our lives as we pray and praise the Lord. I love the story of uh, Horatio uh, G. Spayford when he lost his four children, one through uh, scarlet fever, then three of his daughters by sea. As the ship sank, as he wept, he wrote the song, It is well with my soul. I want to read you a few lines of the song. That really tugged at my heart. He was called to the by the captain of the ship to the top of the ship. And the captain said, I believe this is where the ship went down, where your children perished. And he wept and he went down into his cabin and he wrote this song. He says, When Peace like a river attendeth my way. 
When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot you have taught my, not me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. See, I'm blessed for many reasons, but I have an advantage over a lot of people because I get to sing in a worship team. And no matter what kind of bad mood I'm in, no matter what kind of state of mind I'm in, after a good praise song, the Lord sets me in His presence. He has lifted my heart up. Not only that, but I get to see miracles before me. I get to see God connect with His people and deal with people's hearts as people weep, as they pour out their lives in praise. And when I'm singing songs on a sheet, it's the people of God that has reminded me we're in the presence of Almighty God. And He is worthy of our praise. Amen? Now listen to verse 26. It says, Then suddenly there was a great earthquake, and so the foundation of the prison was shaken, and immediately the doors were opened, and everything, and the chains were loosened. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. See, it was Roman law if a guard let a prisoner escape, he was to pray. He was to pay their penalty for their death. So he said, I might as well take my life. Now look at what Paul says. And Paul call, called out with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. That's the compassion and love of Paul. He could have kept silent, but he cried out with a loud voice. Do yourself no harm. Paul understood he was in there for him. See, I'm not surprised that Paul and Silas stayed in there, but all the prisoners stayed as well. They could have fled to freedom, but they instead they stayed right there with Paul and Silas. You see, that's the power of the gospel message. That's the power of the message. See, they, they heard the word, but now they saw it. They were a witness. Then he called for a light and ran in and fell down and trembled before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must we do to be saved? See, he had heard the word, but now he witnessed the word lived out before him. And he said, what must I do to be saved? Let me tell you, church, the harvest truly is great. But the laborers are few. I believe the harvest is ready in the church today. I believe the harvest is ready in our streets. And all we have to do is be His workers in His harvest. Are we willing to go? 
The guy said, what must I do to be saved? All the things that Paul and Silas said and did, they all heard. But it was this final act of love and compassion and grace that brought this jailer to his knees before Paul and Silas in repentance and faith. Do you hear me, church? He finally knew he needed God's grace. I believe people are saying in silence in their heart, what must I do? Am I okay? God help us to be His hands and feet. See, I believe not only the jailer and his household were saved, but also those who were in the prison, who didn't flee, who stayed in the prison. Why did God allow Paul to be beaten in prison? So God could set the captives free. I want to share a story. Kumar, a Christian from South India, was grieved because none of the 13 people he had invited had come to watch the Billy Graham broadcast at his home. On December 25th, he began to pray. And around 9 p.m., he felt compelled to invite his wife's family to watch the next night's broadcast. The family had no home, so Kumar asked a neighbor to bring them to the phone for an urgent message. When his brother-in-law, Satish, reached the phone, Kumar asked him and his family to catch a bus to the city to watch the broadcast with him. Satish said, I have no money. Kumar encouraged him to go borrow the money that he would imburse him when he got there. Satish res res consented and they boarded a bus for the long trip to Kumar's house. They arrived the next day at 5 p.m., an hour before the broadcast. Kumar afterwards gave his testimony, asked if there was anyone there who would like to receive Jesus by faith. They all looked at each other in silence. Kumar wondered why. Then Satish, noticeably dis distressed and disturbed, stood up and explained that they had just lost their job because of the tea factory he worked at had just closed. Furthermore, the company was demanding that the family vacate the home that the company owned. Seeing no hope, the family had decided on the December 25th to commit suicide together. Now they saw hope in Jesus. So they prayed and Komar and Satish, he said, he felt immediately like a new man with hope again. We all wonder, what makes a man like Paul courageous? What makes a man so zealous and unstoppable? Look at what the next verse says. So they said to him, believe on the Lord Jesus and you and your house and you will be saved, you and your household. What makes a man unstoppable? I want to give you a few reasons 
For one, Paul understood the power in the gospel message he was called to give. Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. To the church at Corinth, Paul said, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. See, Paul recognized the power in the gospel message he was to give. Secondly, heaven was reality to Paul. He saw heaven before him. Is heaven real to you? Thirdly, Paul wanted to see souls saved. This is what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. He said, For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? See, this needs to be our greatest treasure to see our loved ones and our friends saved for Jesus Christ. And last but not least, Paul saw Jesus before him as the prize at the end of his race. I love how Jackie shared this last night, and I want to share it with you. Philippians chapter 3. He says, Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of of the knowledge of Christ Jesus our Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Has, are you found in Him? Do you know Him as Lord and Savior? Is He your treasure? And he says, not that I have already obtained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Man, what a great thing for you and I, gang. He, I didn't chase after Jesus. He found me. He laid a hold of my heart. Has he laid a hold of you? Do you know him this evening as Lord and Savior? Or are you playing church? Have you been invited? Don't leave here this weekend without knowing him. We're going to take communion this evening. Corey, could you pass that out? Get that ready. As they're passing that out, I want to share a story with you. Uh, last, last summer, I went on vacation to California. Not much of a vacation. But I took my grandkids to Magic Mountain and uh, Knoxbury Farm. And uh, Magic Mountain and Universal Studios. But the highlight of my trip was... I got to lead my best friend to the Lord. And when he heard that I was coming to California, he asked, 
He said, Fritz, will you baptize me and my wife? And I got to baptize my best friend. Now, I was so filled with the Holy Spirit. I was so elated. I was on such a, a spiritual high. I decided to go to Huntington Beach and take a walk on the beach. I had my pocket Bible in my hand. And I was walking along the beach and I, I had my glasses on and I was wearing my sandals. And I was walking along reading this scripture verses that we're studying tonight. Got a few miles down the road. And I didn't see a puddle in front of me. So I slipped in the water and my Bible flew. My glasses flew. And I was sitting in a puddle of water and I began to laugh. Because I thought, what a great Bible illustration. We're always looking for a good story. So I got up, brushed the mud off me. My Bible was in the road. Picked up my Bible, grabbed my glasses, headed back down the road. Got another two miles down the road and I'm, I, I'm singing a song. I'm just overjoyed. But I didn't see the crack in the sidewalk. So I tripped in the crack of the sidewalk and I hit face first. Got my elbows and my knees. But this time, I broke.